Hello there and welcome to Force Material. I'm Baz McAllister. And I'm Rowan Williams. And this is the show that tells you all about the secrets and the source material of Star Wars. But really, this is just an excuse for us to geek out over the Obi-Wan Kenobi show <laughs> and give all you guys at Celebration something to listen to while you're in those long lines. Yeah, you're feeling a little bit of the Celebration uh Celebration jealousy, celebration envy, Baz. From- a, a little bit, yeah. I just keep seeing pictures on Twitter of uh, all of our podcasting friends hanging out together in Oga's Cantina <laughs> and lining up for Rise of the Resistance together. And, uh, you know, and also, you know, being in the all important panels at Celebration. So, yeah, feeling a little bit of FOMO, I have to admit. And I don't normally get FOMO anymore. Yeah, the pandemic kind of beat that out of me, but I'm definitely getting <laughs> FOMO for this. Yes, I would agree. Like just seeing some of the pics of, you know, like, oh, those people are meeting up. That's cool. Or, you know, like that panel looks really fun or whatever. Definitely the occasional little uh, little, little burst of, of FOMO for me as well. Yeah. And shout out to a friend of the podcast, Mike Chen, who um, has achieved his dream of meeting Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, <laughs> Ewan McGregor, and getting his picture taken with him, which was great to see. I miss that. I'll have to go look at that. That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. And that's a development we haven't talked about yet, really, that we should just talk about at the top of the show, because it's kind of relevant to speaking about Obi-Wan Kenobi in general. Uh, yeah, you, your boys are canon now. <laughs> this is true. Uh, since we last did an episode of this podcast, obviously, Mike Chen's book, Brotherhood, uh, great book. Would you agree, Baz? Absolutely. One of the best Star Wars books I've ever read. Yeah. And, I, yep. you know, I'm not just saying that because Mike's a good guy. It It's genuinely brilliant. And he's, you know, we need to get him on the podcast to talk about it. We really do. Well, uh, we won't we won't dive too deep into Brotherhood in this episode then because we'll do a somewhere in the in the midst of these Kenobi episodes. We'll do a Brotherhood episode and, 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 and hopefully with Mike and, and get into that. But uh, yeah, Mike, obviously a good guy. I've been on the show a couple of times before as part of this new book, Brotherhood. But the, the people who've read the book know that there's a, a comlink that Anakin gives Obi-Wan that's very, actually surprisingly central to the plot. Like, it it comes up quite a bit over the course of the book, this this comlink does. Um, anyway, the comlink is, uh, is made by a company called Razbohan, uh, which I think we can all agree flows right off the tongue uh, and, and is a totally natural, normal sounding name. Um, and it is a, uh, a, a portmanteau or, or like whatever you, it's a, it's a combination of obviously uh, myself and, and Baz's names. Um, so yeah, your boys, are, your boys are canonically the, the makers of uh, Anakin Skywalker's comlink these days. Now we just have to, to go one leap further and do what uh, Steel Saunders has done and get ourselves on screen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, shout out to him as well. Fantastic to see a dream getting realized there too. Yeah. But like, we, could, we could talk for two or three hours if we talked about all the stuff coming out of Celebration, but we really shouldn't. We should, we're here to talk episode one and two of Obi-Wan. Um, yeah. Despite all the incredibly exciting stuff, um, you know, from Andor trailers to announcements of new shows to lots of new figures coming out that I can buy to, you know, um, uh, okay, we're going to talk spoilers here. We're going to talk spoilers about Kenobi, but uh, so if you don't want to hear any spoilers, turn off now, but Princess Leia's droid um, <laughs> is, has got a toy 
a life-size animatronic toy. Already? Um, already, yeah. Announced on the day that we we saw it pretty much, which is, you know, it's it's unprecedented really for Hasbro to do that, you know, to, to be able to produce things with such secrecy, I think. Normally collectors yeah. get wind of these things so far in advance, but they've managed to put out some some really cool stuff. Um, you know, the, the Obi-Wan Wandering Jedi figure is already up for pre-order. So, uh, you know, there's lots of stuff that's tied into the show that's, that's coming out right now. Whereas with Mando, it took us quite some time to see figures and things come off the, the production line. So, you know, we, we won't see these on shelves for a while still, but it's nice to know that they're there and they're available for pre-order now. So, uh, yeah, that, that kind of ties into uh, to Obi-Wan. Now, we're not going to go through it um, frame by frame, but uh, I feel that we can just jump in to this discussion and talk about whatever we want, whenever we want. So what was your first impression? What was the first thing you want to talk about, about Obi-Wan? Oh, so much to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I, I sat down and watched uh, Revenge of the Sith first and then went straight into Kenobi episode one from there. Um, and I mean, I'm glad I did because this thing really does play as, you know, episode 3.5. Mm. And I tried to sort of avoid, I really haven't followed a lot of like the production or anything of Kenobi. Like I really don't, didn't know much of anything about it going in. So I'm not sure how much of it was like, oh, this is a complete shock to the audience and how much of it was just a shock to me because I wasn't paying attention. Um, yeah. But so like we didn't know that Leia was going to be a major figure in this series, did we? That wasn't just no. a me not paying attention thing. This is Grogu level secret keeping. Right on the part of the the Star Wars production team here, so you know I think it, they've done a fantastic job of keeping this off everybody's radar. But you know the only thing we were told about Kenobi is that he's watching over Luke Skywalker until something happens that propels him on a galaxy-spanning adventure or something. And of course now we know the something that happened is the kidnapping of Princess Leia, which when you think about it with your logical brain is the only thing that could pull him away from looking over Luke. It's clever. It's it's so clever. It's like it's it's. I, was, I said to you know my partner when I was watching it, I'm like, this is almost. It's like a magic trick in terms of the sleight of hand here, where we think Obi Wan, we think, well, what's he doing in this time period? He's looking after Luke, you know, and it's it's Luke, 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 and even the start of this episode is like we see him watching over Luke, and and everything we know about Obi Wan just sort of ex- trains us to expect, like, okay, well, he's going to be hanging out on Tatooine. That's what he's doing you never think of him in terms of like having any sort of connection to Leia. So then, yeah, for the series to be like, no, it's got nothing to do with him looking after Luke. It's about, you know, him having to go and rescue the other kid was, you know, I thought that was, that was really smart. And as you say, it makes total sense as the only thing that would like break him out of this sort of exile that he's in and, 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 you know, get him out of storytelling limbo and actually off having an adventure somewhere. Yeah. And I did wonder about what would happen that would lead him off to, because I thought it would be dreadfully irresponsible of him to mm. to just derelict his duty looking after Luke. But um, I, I'm surprised that he took it so well. I don't think I'd have taken it very well. Like, you know, there were clear job assignments given at the end of episode three. Bail Organa <laughs> takes Leia, looks after Leia. He's got all the resources of an entire planet to look after her. He's basically the king. He's got armies, he's got security systems, he's got fleets of starships. All Obi-Wan has is an AOP and a couple of farmers 
<laughs> in his corner and and he's done remarkably well <laughs> and then bale shows up and goes oh sorry obi i dropped the ball on this one can you help me out he should really say no look you're way over resourced it's your problem <laughs> and he does to his credit he does but you know he relents and he shouldn't have relented it was it's ridiculous <laughs> I mean, just look at how easily Bale was able to just drop everything and show up in a in a cave in in town Tatooine. You know, like yep. he, it, it is within his grasp to go and find Leia. Then you would think. Yeah, <laughs> and and Obi Wan's not as lost as he thinks if, if Bale Organa can just turn up and find him, and that other uh, Benny Safdie's Jedi can find him as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> that is that is a good point. What do, you, what do you think of his uh, little cave headquarters? It's pretty cool. I, I honestly was expecting to see the hut um, that he lives in mm. as Alec, Alec Guinness. But, uh, but yeah, obviously he's going to come back and find that at some point. But, yeah, I really thought he'd, we'd see the hut again. Um, and I'm not disappointed. The cave is a really cool location. Uh, I love kind of the parallels um, both between him and, and uh, Ray, you know, cooking up the weird dinner that expands and then going out to sit outside in the desert and eat your dinner and look over the landscape like mm. Ray does. Mm. Uh, and I love the parallels with uh, Luke as well in the first Jedi temple, um, especially where uh, Obi-Wan's trying to commune with Qui-Gon um, mm. and, and failing, you know, that, that scene kind of reminded me a little bit of, of Luke sitting in the temple explaining things to Ray, you know, mm. just, just the backdrop and the way he sits and everything. It just feel, feels like the same kind of vibe. I guess there's also parallels then with the sort of, you know, the be with me stuff in episode nine as well with, mm. with Ray sort of trying to summon, you know, the, the Jedi spirits and, and being unable to. That's right. Um, but look, I'll, I'll tell you the, the single coolest thing I think um, about the show for me is that it's always annoyed me in episode four um, that Leia sends a message to general Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then Luke shows up to rescue her and says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. And she says, Ben Kenobi, where is he? And I'm like, how does she know he's called Ben? She doesn't know that he lives in Tatooine and masquerades as Ben, Mm. but now he's met her as 10 year old Leia. And he says, his name is Ben. And she says, that's a stupid name for a Jedi. That's what she knows him as primarily now. She doesn't know him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. She knows him as Ben, the guy who helped her on, on this planet. Yeah. So, so she knows Ben Kenobi. It, it just blows my mind that that little mistake in episode four, let's be honest, has been filled in and fleshed out for me. And it no longer bugs me. And I've, I've seen, you know, jumping on this as a mistake that, you know, that she says uh, that she, she doesn't sort of, you know, when, when she leaves her message for ben, for Obi-Wan Kenobi at the start of episode four, she says, you know, you served my father in the Clone Wars and she doesn't say, you know, you also rescued me from the planet Hong Kong and we went on an adventure together or whatever. <laughs> but my, my understanding is like, I don't think she knows that's the same guy. Like, I, like I don't think she necessarily knows that Obi-Wan Kenobi is Ben. What, what's your thoughts on this mm. well luke does say i'm here with ben kenobi and she definitely recognizes ben, ben kenobi where is he mm. um so she's got to know that obi-wan kenobi and ben kenobi are at least 
relatives, if not the same person, right? I guess. Like, I thought there was enough wiggle room there with her saying that with with her knowing him as Ben in this show and not as Ben Kenobi or Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever, that she might not know immediately. But you make you make a really good point that I hadn't even thought of about, you know, but she definitely knows who Ben Kenobi is when Luke yeah. when Luke shows up on the Death Star. Um I mean I I like the idea that she doesn't even know this as Ben Kenobi necessarily. Like this guy is just Ben. Like that he just becomes someone she remembers from this crazy thing that happened in her childhood for like a week. Um that you know, <laughs> her family tries not to talk about. Um, yeah. That, that's and, it. She's probably been instructed to never mention it again, or she's been Jedi mind tricked to forget it by the end exactly. of the series. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, regardless of like, does she know it's him or not in episode four? But we're, so we're on the same page, I assume, though, that this is now the canonical, this series is now the canonical explanation for why <laughs> yeah. Ben Solo is named Ben Solo, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I love Obi Wan's line about, you know, she's she's been taken. And I just yeah. thought that should have been Qui Gon. It should have been Qui Gon's <laughs> name. <laughs> it's a joy. It's just a joy to watch. And and when you think about it, we've got a movie length um, story already out of these two episodes, and it was just mm. brilliant to sit down and watch them back to back. And and it just it, it gets to a really great place and carries it forward. And it, it feels like a a new Star Wars movie mm. in every way. I think part of the Part of the thing that that works so well about that is the decision to have the one director for this series. So to have every episode be directed by Deborah Chow, the fact that you know it's the same the same crew from episode to episode. I think when, hopefully you know, assuming it's six the landing, when it's done and you can watch all six episodes together, I'm hoping it will just feel like you know, I was going to say six hours would be closer to a five hour, four and a half hour movie. Um, you know, and I think part of that is like the team that they've assembled around Deborah Chow as well. Like, so Chung Hoon Chung is the cinematographer. You know, he's a great cinematographer. He shot uh, Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, Thirst, Stoker, The Handmaiden. Um, so, like, pretty much everything Park Chan Wook has made, like, from his second movie onwards, I think, um, or third. Anyway, from relatively early on in Park Chan Wook's career until recently, he's he's done everything with him. Um, I don't think he shot his new one decision to leave, but, um, he did, I mean, he shot, uh, one night in Soho with Edgar Wright. Um, mm. so, you know, like you've definitely seen movies that this guy has shot. Um, and I think having him on board helps give it that sort of cinematic feel as well. Yeah. And there's some, uh, some great shots in here that, you know, you, you realize you haven't seen in star Wars before, mm. like the, uh, the shaky cam shots when the Jedi is looking for Obi-Wan in the desert and you know, from behind the rocks mm-hmm. have to stand out. Um, you know, the, you just don't see that in Star Wars. It's not part of the style book of any of the shows and films that we've had so far. So it's, it's great to see them do something really genuinely a bit different with this one. Mm. What did you, um, you know, what did you think of the, uh, the little like previously on recap at the start? Oh, I thought that was interesting in terms of like, you know, it's like when you watch a, a TV show and they, and they have a previously on, and it always gives you a little bit of a clue as to like, you know, obviously where this episode's going to yeah. go. Um, and yeah, I thought it was interesting that they included, you know, the splitting of the babies and the footage of Alderaan and stuff from Revenge of the Sith in that, in that, um, 
the you know previously on stuff. But I mean, yeah, I think they did a great job of like picking out like the relevant through lines from those three films to really sort of set people up for this series. It was per- it was perfect. It was like a little short film mm. in its own right. Really, that it was really really good to see the prequels distilled down into just what's relevant for this show in the space mm. of what two minutes or something. Mm. And I did I did at one point wonder whether it was going to feed in um, stuff from Clone Wars, uh, but you know they didn't do that in the end, which was probably a great decision. But uh, yeah, it's still a fantastic little package that that really gets to the heart of what those prequels are all about. Yeah, I I personally, I'm glad they didn't include the Clone Wars because I, I had that same thought of like, oh, are they going to like segue into animated stuff here? And I don't know. I feel like part of the beauty of the show is um, I think the concept is like broad enough and the, you know, the star power with Ewan McGregor is big enough that you're going to get people watching this show who really only know Star Wars through the movies. Um, or certainly I'm sure that's the idea. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think they will be hoping people watch this who maybe have only seen, you know, episodes one through nine. Um, and, you know, maybe not even people who've like been fans of the Disney stuff so far, but, you know, were prequel fans or whatever might want to come back and, um, and get into this. So I think, like the less they get into the specifics of the Clone Wars, I think the better for me. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the less sort of like connective tissue in a way with all the non movie stuff there is, the mm-hmm. easier it will be for people to get into this series. Yeah. Um, but that said, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they drop in a few little references. To, obviously, you've got stuff from the animated series in there still, in terms of like you've got the Inquisitors in there. Yeah. Um- and and speaking of, what did you think? Because um, I know there were some concerns before the show came out, when the trailers came out, that uh, the Grand Inquisitor looked a bit different from his uh, cartoon avatar. Um, what did you reckon? How, do you think they pulled it off? Do you think they changed anything after the reaction to that trailer? Oh, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the trailer footage, I guess. But to me, I don't I don't think they changed anything. Um, he seemed to have really dark, long shadows under his eyes that went down over his cheeks. Mm. And I don't remember that from the trailer, but then you only get that brief shot where his face is lit up by a lightsaber anyway, mm. really. So, you know, that it may have always been there, but it, it just, it looked, it seemed to add a lot to his face to have those dark streaks. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought he looks good. I, I thought Rupert Friend was really good in the role. I mean, I mm-hmm. definitely was one of those people when the, when the trailer dropped, I was like, huh? Like, is that, how did they, what? And like, it was weird because for me, like I'm, I, I just could not care less about like, you know, oh, Ahsoka's Lekus aren't the right length <laughs> or whatever, or like, um, yeah. You know, or Cad Cad Bane's not thin enough, or whatever. I was like, I don't, I could not care less about any of that. But for some reason, the Grand Inquisitor, I was just like, yeah. But his whole thing is kind of that he has, you know, the weird elongated head. Uh, but in context, like in you know when it was, you know, when you're seeing him in the context of the show, as opposed to like a one minute trailer or whatever, it didn't bother me at all. I wasn't really thinking about it. Like the first time he appeared, I'm like, oh yeah, it's that guy I thought looked weird in the trailer. But like after that, I was I was on board. How yeah. about you? Was it? Were you 
yeah, it was fine. Like that performance elevates mm. it so much. That's the that thing, you right? As soon as, he, as soon yeah. he starts acting. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really good. Uh, I mean, I, uh, a bit of a fan of Rupert friend anyway, from like Homeland and stuff. So, you know, he's, he's really, he's really good. And I think I read an interview where he sort of talked about the grand inquisitor as a guy who likes the sound of his own voice. And he definitely does like some of those monologues he does are, are really cool. Mm. Um, what do you think of the other inquisitors? So, uh, you know, obviously we'll get on to Reva in a, in a minute, but, uh, uh, what about the fifth brothers, uh, Sun Kang's character? The Sun Kang. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a fan yeah. of fifth brother. I love the way they they put some bass under his voice. Mm. Like his voice is modulated just a little bit. It sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a good heavy, you know. Yeah, but he's the heavy with a little bit of restraint, as opposed mm. to third sister, who's who's psychopath. a psychopath. Yeah, and and this is it's. Probably you don't see that many psychopaths in Star Wars. Like people, they aren't usually out and out crazy psychopaths who throw knives at people's heads for fun. But th- this is something different, and and she just feels really threatening to me. It definitely feels like she has to tap into something, you know, uh, a, a a bit darker, a bit more hateful to be able to like access the 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 force or whatever. Like. It seems like maybe she's a, yeah a little more twisted than the others for that for that reason. I don't I don't know, but she's definitely she's definitely more extreme than I mean mm. the, you know they they've made a point of showing us that over these first couple episodes that you know yeah. even the other bad guys are like hey man just you know <laughs> chill out it's just a job yeah. that's right that uh, that opening um, the Order sixty six opening is uh, is presumably showing uh, showing us her. Escaping yes. from the Jedi Temple, um, and uh, yeah, that was that was really great choice to get straight into the action there, and and show some Jedi just taking down some clone troopers, and you know, it was a lovely bit of action there, and I I just thought that 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 kind of really showed the terror that you would feel if you were a little kid mm. caught up in the middle of that. You know, it just, I mean, it's. It's too soon to talk about real world events that have parallels to that, but it, yeah, it just shows you what um, a, a frightening thing it would be for a child to to be caught up in, in something like that, where invaders come into a safe place and, and mm. try and get you. Mm. It was mm. it was unfortunate. I saw uh, you know obviously Disney Plus have now put a content warning on this episode. I don't know if you've seen mm. that, um, mm. saying you know hey uh, because of recent events, this the beginning of this episode may be upsetting to some viewers. And I mean, you know, we don't have to get into it all out of it. Obviously, it's extremely tragic. But I mean, the problem is you're never going to be too far away from something like that now. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, whether whether this thing had happened this week or not, um, you, those parallels would, would be there with, you know, something that happened um, recently. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a... a, a a full on, you know, it was a, it was good opening to the episode. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know, having just watched Revenge of the Sith, it was cool to be sort of, you know, have the start of this episode, throw us straight back into that, you know, the events of Order 66, um, yeah. which obviously we've seen many, many, many times <laughs> at this point. I mean, to me, like I, I, I didn't even make that connection until I saw a few people, uh, uh, you know, on, on Twitter afterwards sort of saying like, Oh, 
Disney should really put a content warning on this. And I'm like, oh, I guess. I don't know. I've, we've just seen Order 66 so many times that I don't even... Yeah. Like, I just see it and I'm like, that's Order 66. Like, it doesn't have any, like, real world... Um, uh, it, it doesn't ring any real world bells for me. You know what I mean? But you're right. Yeah. Obviously, there are those, are, those parallels are, are there. Yeah. It probably is important because I don't think those are just random kids who... Um, you know, uh, who we see as part of Order 66 there. I think you're absolutely right that that, that will be Reva. Um, and I think the importance of that scene is like, the, but the idea that these lost Jedi who they're hunting and, they, and a lot of the, and, you know, at least some of these Inquisitors were all sort of spawned from the same incident. Like, you know, some of them went on the run and, and some of them um, have, you know, been corrupted and, and, and brought up under the influence of the Empire. But like, but that, it just shows, you know, I think the, the you need to see that opening scene because um, that's where all of this begins, really, for, for yeah. both sides of, of the conflict. And the Grand Inquisitor himself was once a Jedi Temple guard, so he yeah. was one of the, the best of them, and he fell. Yeah. Um, which is interesting as well because he's not supposed to die until during Rebels, right? So yeah. you've got to imagine he's survived that lightsaber slash. Well, it's interesting, right? Because in in Rebels, he has a line. He says something to the effect of, you know, there are worse things than death. Yeah. Which that could just be a badass thing that badass villains say, or it could be now that we know, now that we've seen this episode, it could be implying that, you know, by the time we see him in Rebels, which is set after Kenobi, that perhaps he's already been resurrected once by the time we see him in Rebels. Um, you know, that he's had some experience with death. Um, so it's possible he's resurrected somehow after this. It's possible he's, you know, maybe there's more than, maybe he's a clone. Maybe there's more than one Grand Inquisitor, um, mm. you know, if they're hunting Jedi all around the galaxy. Um, maybe he's, you know, like in the, I think in the, is it Charles Sewell's comics or there's definitely yeah. a Star Wars comic where like the spirit of the Grand Inquisitor mm-hmm. is somehow resurrected. Um, so they've played around with that space before and obviously nobody in Star Wars ever really dies. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, it's, it's possible that the guy we see in Rebels has been brought back from the dead. It's also possible, as you say, though, I mean, you, you know, maybe we just apply Occam's razor to it and he's got Occam's, uh, you know, circular lightsaber to it. And he's, he's just not dead. Like he just wasn't killed in, in this episode yeah. and he's just, you know, badly wounded. I think in that comic, it's it's Vader that is responsible for bringing him back somehow and, and uh, turning him into a guardian spirit, essentially. Mm. Um, so that that's how he sort of ends his life. After Rebels, he gets brought back and turned into this guardian spirit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's possible Vader could then show up now, which looks like is going to happen, and, and raise him back from the dead. Maybe every time he gets resurrected, he gets uh, skinnier in the face. <laughs> Maybe. You know? I don't know. It's all there. It's all the, <laughs> yeah. all the clues. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've got to imagine Vader's going to turn up now because we saw that great scene at the end of episode two where he's in the um, back to tank. Yeah, he's definitely coming back. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, uh, that sort of raises interesting questions now because technically he'll be hunting not only Reva, but uh, uh, not only Obi Wan, but Reva too because she's betrayed the order. So uh- I do wonder if, if that would make. Obi Wan and her potential allies down the road against Vader. It depends if Vader knows that she killed 
the Grand Inquisitor. Once he resurrects him, you'll tell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, but then it's not like Vader, you know, if Vader gets annoyed about her killing the Grand Inquisitor, that's the ultimate sort of like, I can make fun of my family, not you sort of situation. Because like Vader's killing insubordinates all the time, you know, yeah. he's killing people like <laughs> other people in the Empire all the time. So for him to get offended about her killing the Grand Inquisitor would be the, the height of hypocrisy. Yeah, maybe he'll promote her because yeah, but, yeah, they, showed they, a bit of Vader initiative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what do you think they're going to do about the voice? <sighs> it's an interesting one. I have no idea. It'll be fun to see. Mm. Yeah, because initially um, I was like, maybe they get James Earl Jones back, and then I was sort of thinking, I don't know, man. Even in uh, Rogue One and. And Rebels, more so Rogue One, he, he, he didn't sound like you can tell he's older, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's the same reason they didn't just get Mark Hamill to do a voiceover for Luke in Mando and Book of Boba Fett. Because, you know, as great a voice actor as he is, you can tell that he's older. So they, they synthesized it. So I'm, I'm wondering, that would make the most sense in some ways. Like, obviously, they've got tons of James L. Jones audio on file. Um, They've got this technology that they use to synthesize Luke's voice in the Mandalorian and, and the book of Boba Fett. Um, and Vader is meant to sound kind of, you know, his voice is coming out through a modulator anyway. So yeah. I'm thinking they might use their sort of uh, whatever the technology is called that they used to create Luke's voice to create Vader's voice. What do you think? Yeah. or so to, to create like, um, Hayden's lines and just modulate them into a James Earl Jones affair. Yeah, pretty much. I guess so. You that could, would be you could great, even yeah. have James, like Hayden act them somehow, and yeah, yeah, you know, like Hayden reads them and then they run them through the James Earl Jones affair. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would be perfectly fine because he's, you know, he's. That's what's happening in universe. I don't know. Maybe can he turn the the voice thing off? Like, can he somehow just sound like Hayden? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, and he's got to, he's got to have upgraded the technology. I mean, you know, you don't have the same iPhone you had ten years ago, right? So yeah. maybe it's going to sound totally different. <laughs> he's got yeah, a different, different little maybe voice. He'll start modulator. talking. He'll sound like Siri. You know, who knows? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. <laughs> maybe. Oh, it's yeah. I I can't wait to see what they do with them. Like, I hope it's not just a. Um, I hope they don't underuse Hayden is what mm. I'm worried about because I know that there's there's going to have to be stunt doubles and stuff and it could be anyone in the suit like in in Mandalorian I'm sure it's not it's not Pedro like even a quarter of the time in, in that suit I reckon <laughs> yeah it's Patrick Wayne a huge amount yeah. of time apparently. a huge amount of time so I just hope they don't underuse Hayden I hope that you know they've got him he's back he's stoked to do it he's actually you know been really generous and lovely in the interviews I've seen him give and really, really, you know, seems to to be wearing it well. A little bit older, you know. Um, he's. It, it's. I'd love to see a bit of maskless Vader, just to see, you know, how he plays mm. it at that age, because it's a it's a time in Vader's life that, um, that I, I think we, you know, we haven't explored because because it's like that whole time when you're growing into your older age you know he's mm. he's a sith lord but he's he's got you know and he's half machine but he's going to be aging he's going to his mind's going to be aging he's going to you know have different priorities and 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 
go through a different stage of life. Yeah, no, you know, I want to, I want to say, like, yeah, I'm getting older, and I just, you know, feel more vulnerable, and and uh, you know, it's uh, things change in your brain. Uh-huh. You, you go. I'm not. I'm not going to go bungee jumping. I would have done it when I was twenty. <laughs> I'm not doing it now. I'm not saying Vader's going bungee jumping, but <laughs> you know, you, you, your risk assessment have, changes. You know. Yeah, Hannigan yeah. would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just um, probably a slightly clumsy segue, but in terms of Anakin and Padme um, fusing together to make Baby Leia. <laughs> Can can you see that you can see both of them in her, right? Can't you? I mean, she's maybe more Anakin than Padme in a way, which is odd. Um, because she's the no nonsense, you know, always on the move. Um, yeah. taking risks everywhere and, and whereas Luke probably isn't quite like that. You know, he's he's a speed he's a speed racer and you know, and he's got that side of the personality of Anakin, but um yeah, he, he doesn't seem to be as as uh, as headstrong. Well, it's funny, like, because that's sort of been the joke with with Luke and Leia for a, for a while. Is like, you know, it's funny that that Obi Wan is so convinced that Luke is like the chosen one when you know Luke's a a, a young adult playing with his T sixteen Skyhopper, whereas yeah. Leia's you know <laughs> which Obi Wan buys him, <laughs> which everyone buys him, which was a great moment, very cute. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, well, cute, but you know, there's an agenda there, obviously, as as, <laughs> as he straight up tells yes. Owen, you know, he wants Luke. Broadening his mind a little bit, thinking he'd be up beyond the, you know, beyond the horizon. Um, yeah. It's like you buy your kids some Lego Technic because you want him to be an engineer. It's it's a hundred percent that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's it, there is something sort of uh, sad and cute about it. I think. Um, yeah. But that's that's absolutely what it is. Um, but yeah, whereas you know, and then you look at Leia and you're like, I don't know, man. It seems like she's the one who's got it all together. Um, and yeah, like it, definitely, you see that in in this series. Like she's she's taken no nonsense from her uh, lame cousin on Alderaan. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was just so fun to see Alderaan. Like, like, like when I, mm. when I saw the end of Revenge of the Sith, I, I was like, oh, uh, you know, I always forget that you see Alderaan for a second in that in that last montage, and I was like, oh, it'd be fun if we went back to Alderaan at some point, and then you know. We, we go there early on in the, in the in episode one and I was like, Oh, okay, sweet. I immediately got my wish in this case. It, it's, it's a fun design because it's like, it's not another desert planet or a, a city planet or it's a, it's a sort of, you know, it's got these sort of urban elements, but then it's got your, you know, the, the mountain range and stuff behind them and everything as well. It's like an interesting sort of utopian uh, yeah. kind of society that we don't see a lot of in Star Wars comes across like switzerland or something or like yes. geneva you know yeah. like one of those high alpine cities yeah yeah it's really really cool design yeah and i actually love the old ran score as well mm. i know there are a few people involved with the music for this so i'm not sure who to credit that that to but the uh the score that accompanies those Alderaan scenes is, is something that we haven't really heard in star wars much before it reminded me of that um flying with chewie piece in solo you know, yeah. just a bit lighter and more melodic and yeah, really nice. Yeah, I think that would have been Natalie Holt because like John Williams obviously did mm. the Kenobi theme, and then I saw there was another person credited with like adapting the Kenobi theme for the show whose name yeah. escapes me. And then Natalie Holt did the score outside of that. So I'm assuming it that was her. 
But yeah, I really enjoyed the score all throughout both episodes. I can't wait until some version of the soundtrack pops up on, uh, you know, streaming services so I can just be yeah. listening to it all the time. <laughs> there was some fun uh, in that in that Alderaan sequence as well, some oh, yeah. fun little deep cuts for, you know, for the fans um, when when Princess Leia is speculating about the ships that are, that are coming. Yeah. So she says they might be uh, Aquilin Rangers, which were something from the very early drafts of Star Wars. Um, so Deep oh, yes. Star Killer was originally an Aquilin or Aquilian uh, ranger. Um, and then she also talks about the Merson Pirates. Like they might be Merson Pirates, which were, they're from the old Marvel Star Wars comics. They, I mean, both those things have probably popped up in things since then as well, but that's where they were like originally from. So they were ones that no doubt the, you know, someone in the story group uh, plucked, from, uh, <laughs> yeah. plucked from obscurity there. I mean, obviously, when she's then taken from Alderaan by uh, by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I That's you know right. again was his casting known before this dropped or it, it was mentioned, but uh, but not what he was playing, right? Because yeah, I was shocked to see him, but you know, he was he was fun, he was good, yeah, he's, he's he was got great. a surprisingly long filmography as well, like for a guy <laughs> yes. that nobody it's thinks everywhere. of as you know, oh, that's Flea, the famous actor. Like he does pop up in a lot of movies. Yeah, um, and I forgot to mention we get another cameo there in Alderaan, C three PO in the mm. background tran- translating, doing what he does, doing what he's meant to do. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> you know, in his element. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, just leave me here. This is what I'm meant to be doing. I'm good. I'm good here. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah, Flea was great, and and uh, we haven't spoken about Kumil Nanjani as yet as well, or or oh. Kumil. Kumil non Jedi, as I like to call him. <laughs> Hajar, I think his character. I mean, he was yeah. he was a lot of fun. Um, I, I loved the idea of him, and I don't know if this is something we've seen before. And I'm, I mean, we definitely would have in in you know the expanded universe, but on screen, have we seen someone like impersonating a Jedi like this before? I don't think so. No, that was really fun. Like using the magnets and just you know yeah. taking advantage of the fact that. Nobody has seen a Jedi for like 10 years, I guess. So, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of leeway there. Um, so, yeah, he was he was really fun. Um, I thought he turned, like, to the good side a little too easily. Uh, yeah. Turned to the light a little a little too easily. But, you know, Star Wars is, is uh, fundamentally optimistic and hopeful and believes in the good nature of people. So that that works. Or, you know, he just got mind tricked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I was Obi-Wan, I'd be doing that to everyone all the time. No, I'm not oh. a Jedi. I'd just be. <laughs> well, this is why we'd probably be Sith, Baz. I feel like, you know, this is. Uh... Oh, yeah. And, and it's it's actually Kumil Ninjani's character that takes out Forlom. Um, yeah. In the end, which is great. And, like, I love the fact that, I mean, it was presumably forlom it looked like forlom apparently it's not forlom i saw oh, okay. uh, someone someone on the production side or something confirmed that it's not it's not forlom but it's it's very similar like it's obviously yeah. it's 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 not forlom in the same way that like you know ig whatever um was not yeah. ig88 in the first episode of the mandalorian yeah cool um, um so you know so, well the thing the thing i love about forlom is that he's a protocol droid who's just gone bounty hunter. Yeah. Um, and I thought, how often does that happen? There can only be one. It must be him. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> but but presumably <laughs> that model's just got a propensity for 
for violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a system update needed there, I think. Um, yeah. That does remind me of my, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned him earlier, uh, my favorite character in this episode, the character find of 2022. No idea what their name is, but the dinosaur bounty hunter. Uh, <laughs> yes. What a legend. <laughs> he really kept Obi-Wan going for a while, didn't he? He did. Just that first time you see him in the marketplace, he's just like, that is just straight up, that's just a velociraptor head on a person. That's amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. they just went with it. They just really committed to like, oh, he's part of the story now. Like he's he's hunting Obi-Wan. I'm like, this is, this is great. So I want his entire backstory. I want spin-off novels. I want, you know, I, I must know more about this character. I want an action figure. An action figure. But then you know. I want action figures of everyone always. <laughs> so, But this is the thing, right? Like this, this isn't, I mean, you know, I'll put the same disclaimer I put every time we talk about the toys, which is I don't really know much about that side of the fandom. But like, it feels like when, it, when something like this came out, there would be like, there would already be a toy of dinosaur guy or there would be a toy of dinosaur guy in development or whatever. Like, you know, on the, when the films were coming out, like when the prequels were coming out, you know, you couldn't go to the shops for like months before the prequels came out without seeing Star Wars merch everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of people have been talking about with these shows and then especially with Kenobi, there's like, there's no presence in terms of merchandising for Kenobi, like anywhere. Um, and I mean, I'm fine with that from the point of view of like, I prefer not to be spoiled about this stuff. I like, it would have been annoying if there was like a, you know, young princess Leia action figure um, yeah. out on shelves like three months ago or whatever. But like as someone who really does collect the toys and like, you know, has quite a prodigious collection, like how, how do you feel about the fact that they have sort of almost completely abandoned the idea of like, you know, having merch ready to go when the, when the show drops? Um, it's probably, probably fairly good because, uh, I do remember being slightly spoiled on a couple of things, especially in the prequels by, uh, maybe not so much the, uh, the sequel trilogy, but definitely the prequels in terms of what was available and what you could get before the movie even came out, Mm -hmm. um, on force Friday or whatever it was. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was a problem. And, they're doing it a lot more sensibly now in terms of um, just going vintage collection, not going with any other lesser, you know, five points of articulation figures. So you don't get so many anymore. But the mm-hmm. thing that does annoy me is that they, they're all over the place in terms of not announcing one wave together that's going to all come out together. That You know, it's like this one's up for pre-order at this retail partner and this one's up for pre-order at Walmart. And this one's up for pre-order at Target. And this one's up for pre-order only through this fan channel. And this one's only available on Hasbro.com. And I'm just like, you know, put them all together so I can get them all. I can just put an order in and forget about it and not have to worry about ordering something, you know, in, in four different places and keeping track of it. So that's mm-hmm. my only complaint about the way figures are done now. But as long as, you know, these figures are produced and they're of sufficient quality, then yeah, I'll wait for, I'll wait for them. I, I waited. How many years is is it since Mando first came out? I mean, I only just got my IG eleven a few weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> you know, so it's nearly and, three years. And Quill, right? like, yeah, yeah, it's nearly three years. Yeah, so I haven't had IG and, and Quill 
until now, you know. So it's, yeah, uh, I know we're going to have to wait a long time for baby Leia. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of her as well, I, I just it's come back to me that there's a couple of lovely kind of callbacks to her um, original trilogy costumes, like that little uh-huh. burgundy thing looked like the Bespin gown and the uh-huh. green poncho kind of looks like the Endor poncho. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's all very nicely done. Yeah. I love I the... I cannot believe play. they still kept that secret. It's just, yeah. But then if you're filming in, inside the stagecraft, you can keep anything a secret, right? <laughs> yeah, just I guess. it all in there. I guess. I mean, yeah. it's... It, it's just on that too. I, I, I mean, I don't even know like how much of this was filmed on a set versus how much was filmed in the volume. But if it's anything like Mando and Boba Fett, obviously the vast majority of it would have been shot in the volume. I feel like they're getting better and better with that in terms of, you know, this was several leagues above Book of Boba Fett, I thought. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. I can't, I can't think of anything that sort of stood out as being as looking weird or fake or dodgy, you know, that, yeah. uh, the new, the new city or planet, um, Dayu is, yeah. is Dayu or Dayu. Anyway, it's, um, it's really cool. It's a great design. It reminds me of the Coruscant underbelly, but also kind of with a bit more Blade Runner. Yeah. Mixed into it. Yeah. Really cool. It's not hugely different from Coruscant, but I mean, I'm a, I, I love Coruscant. I love, you know, Anything vaguely Blade Runner-ish will always be fine with me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really cool environment for sure. I love a Star Wars scene where all the bounty pucks suddenly get activated. Like, that's the, I yes. think the second time we've seen it in the in the, in the series, and it's it's really good. It's very uh, very John Wick, for sure. Yes. Um, when, when we, we, I don't think we've really mentioned, or we've touched on briefly, um, Joel Edgerton coming back for this series. Oh, yeah. What uh, a bit of fortuitous casting there to, because like, if we're being real, George could have cast virtually anyone as Owen in episode two, because he doesn't really do a lot in, you know, he's not a big part of that movie. Um, And then he's only in the one, I mean, it's a crucial scene, but only in the one scene in episode three. Um, And, you know, he essentially had his pick of like youngish, male Australian actors that he could have cast when they were filming those back in, um, in Sydney, back in, you know, the early two thousands. Uh, and he cast Joel Edgerton who at the time would have been just known for, you know, like secret life of us and maybe a handful of movies and things that it's worked out extremely well where you now have, you know, a great actor coming back into this role that he's already established from like that. You already know him from episode two and three. And, you know, they weren't stuck being like, oh, I guess if we want to include Owen and we're using all the same actors, we have to bring back, you know, that guy who was on Home and Away in the early 2000s or whatever, who snuck into episode two. You know, like, it's it's Joel freaking Edgerton. Like, it's just, it's it's another great actor in the cast. And his scenes with uh, Ewan McGregor in, in episode one were, as in episode one of this, that's just going to get confusing. Um, yeah. It, were um were really were really fun and that that you know the moment with him and reva did you did you you know did you waver at all did you think for a second that that uh that owen was going to you know give up kenobi or or even just give out a little you know give up too much information there 
No, he's, I mean, Owen is, he, oh, it's, it's difficult. I don't want to call him an asshole straight up, but you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a loyal one. He's, mm. you know, he, he's, um, he's, he's the, the strict kind of parent, but he, he's, he's, he's never going to um, do anything that hurts the family. And that includes extended family. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's a, it's a really nice character trait in him. You know, he he just doing what he thinks is best for everybody and keeps everyone safe. And uh, yeah, I, I, there was never any doubt in my mind he was gonna hold true, hold the line. Yeah, which is it's it's remarkable because you know Owen isn't even really you know blood relatives. He it's it's just like you know his 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 dad married Anakin's mum. Yeah. And that that's kind of it. He didn't really know Anakin that well, and now he's got Anakin's son he's to to look after. And actually, you know, at the end of episode three, they they look quite pleased to get the baby. Mm. So that kind of leads me to think that maybe they they had trouble having one of their own or something, which is yeah. you know it's a nice a nice kind of um, thought leading into that as to, as to how they you know they are so okay with this. Mm. Because it doesn't Yoda say to, to his to his family on Tatooine take him? Well, it's a very very kind of tenuous family. It's a it's a big stretch. It's a yeah. big stretch. I mean, when you put it that way, it kind of reminds me of like uh, you know, there's the occasional like Spider Man story where they'll sort of reference the fact that you know Aunt May's not even blood related to Peter, and you know, like because she was just uh, married to his uncle who then died years and years ago, but then, you know, yeah. spent the rest of her life raising him or whatever. Like, I, I, I like that element of it where it's like, that's not important. Like, you know, in Star Wars is like found family has always been a big um, aspect of Star Wars. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I, I think because I went in the original movie, right. It's so easy to sort of view his character as like, if not a bad guy, then just sort of an obstacle that Luke has to overcome. The guardian um, but, of the threshold. Exactly. Yeah. But when you on this hero's from, journey. Yeah. But when you look yeah. at it from his point of view, it's like he's, you know, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's been entrusted to look after this kid. He's like, it's a dangerous galaxy out there. You know, I know from, yeah, as far as he knows, you know, his dad was killed following, you, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So um, yeah, it makes total sense that he, he, you know, he's just trying to do right by Luke from his, yeah. from his perspective. Plus, trying to run a failing small business it's on a planet easy. that's that's beset by spice smugglers and yeah. uh, low lifes. <laughs> you know, trying and to keep people interested in you know moisture when they can just go over to the the mod parlor, tattoo <laughs> mod parlor. You know, there's a lot happening on Mos Eisley that he has to yeah. his business has to compete with. This is you know, and, and the Tuscan Raiders are still problematic at this point. Exactly. Um, you know, in terms of actually being bad guys, <laughs> like 1950s Western sand people rather than dancers with yeah, wolves. Exactly. <laughs> Owen, Owen is living that version of, of self, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a, it's a tough life for him out of the desert. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, an interesting thing too, is like with, in terms of that Obi-Wan and Owen uh, connection, we've talked about this on the show before, but you know, they were obviously in the, the very early days of, of, of all of this, they those characters had a much bigger connection in that. In I think it was the definitely the return of the Jedi novelization, but I think the author just took this from maybe an early draft of the Return of the Jedi screenplay. Like it's established that 
Obi-Wan and Owen are brothers. Mm-hmm. So when Luke is talking about, you know, Uncle Owen, etc., like he's 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 not Anakin's brother. He's in in the original conception of it, he was Obi-Wan's brother. And that's who so he left him with. Um so it's kind of cool, even though that connection doesn't exist between those characters anymore, to sort of see like a scene like that but between those characters. And you know, and, and then I suppose adding another weird layer on top of that is that Nash Edgerton, Joel Edgerton's real life brother was Ewan McGregor's stunt double in the prequels. So there's sort of this weird bond between uh, Obi-Wan and, and, uh, and Owen in like a sort of, you know, out of universe metatextual kind of, kind of level, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, uh, it's just two great actors playing well off against each other. So it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. Yeah. Great to see him. Um, it'd be great to see Baru as well. I'm sure she's going to come into it. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Baz, or should we should we save it for our our next uh, deep dive into Kenobi episode three? Yeah, let's save it for next week because uh, I have no doubt that we're going to be sitting here next week with our minds blown again, all over again. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, guys, thanks for thanks for tuning in and and uh, coming back. Hopefully, uh, my. COVID-19 uh, voice wasn't too off-putting for everyone. That's right. We forgot to mention that at the top of the show. You've been fighting through COVID to be here. This is your, this is your flu game. <laughs> yes, but I, I feel like at this point, COVID is sort of just like, you know, everybody, I, I'm one of the last people to have it at this point. So it's, it's fine. The last infected. <laughs> I was like, oh, clearly I'm just indestructible. I'm just built different. I'm like, nope. Turns out I am not. Just careful. Just very careful. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, next week will probably sound a little bit different because I'll be recording with an actual microphone and I won't be in uh, quarantine anymore. But uh, yeah, this was, this was good best to do this again. Yeah. So good. And, and it looks like, you know, there's six episodes of this and then not too far after that, we'll have Andor and then, you know, we just keep rolling. We're going to do recaps for almost everything. I reckon. Yeah. Um, and then between that, we'll hopefully have some some other goodies. Yeah. So in the meantime, obviously, you follow us at all the normal places. So um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're most active on Twitter is generally the easiest place to get a hold of us. And you can also drop us a line at forcematerial at gmail.com. I'm Ron Williams. I'm Baz McAllister. And you've just taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs>